King and Yates, they bridging the gap From the US to Dubai, put pins on the map Ball is life and that's a fact And a ball is life, about that exact King and Yates, they bridging the gap From the US to Dubai, put pins on the map There's a time to score and a time to assist Ain't no YN team, let the winning commence From generation to generation, game don't stop The new and old school got the game on lock It's all legendary, it's all necessary We all been all-stars before February And after that, King and Gates, after Rex Man it's been a, it's been a little while since we heard that one. It's been a it's been a little while since we heard that man. BTG Nation, what's up, man? Let's give it. Let's give him some action. Man, if you don't stop pushing that damn horn. My bad, my bad, man. BTG Nation, we're back. This will be episode twenty. Um, I know I told you guys we might have been taking a little bit of break because of Ramadan, but OG got a call. OG got a call that we've been waiting for. He hit me. He said, young buck, we got to find a way to make it happen tonight. And we in the studio. I don't have a haircut. <laughs> Looking crazy on air. You know, a hat all over the place. Sweats crazy, but we here. And this is going to be crazy fun. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since the last episode. The last episode was fire, too. We had a guest speaker. Lee was on there. We got to get into our music bag a little bit. A lot has transpired on the basketball court since then, though. Like a whole lot. Um, we'll see a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about that going forward. But what we got today, big dog. Man, we got a special group of guys, man, that I know personally and, and professionally that, you know, played and coached at Coppin State. You know, so it's the perfect, perfect episode to piggyback, you know, with the first group that we had. Yes, yes. On and Coppin. So this is going to be part two. We told you guys we were going to have... Um, several more perspectives when it came to that legendary team and the seasons that they had and the impact that they had on basketball at the HBCU <laughs> level um, and just what it's like to be a part of that that brotherhood. And so uh, we're here today. And if you guys remember the last episode, <laughs> it was it was real deal. Yeah. You know, you could feel the energy through the phone. And so today, please don't expect nothing less. We got some special ones on the phone today. Um, and then you guys... I'll let Coach King do the introduction for this one. All right, cool. So we, you know, we had Turk on last time, but, you know, I gave a brief introduction to those guys. But I ain't really get a chance to get into it in terms of, like, what they actually were in terms of uh, the type of player and the impact they had at Coppin. Um, so I want to start with him first just because he was with us last time. You know, we talked about his size and everything, how he was a great player. He was one of the most intimidating players in MEAC history. You know, we got, of course, we got into several fights because of him. You know what I'm saying? But we could always handle our business because we had him. You know, he's a dude that was, you know, player of the year in 1996. And he was one of our our top players on that, you know, historic run in 97 to, uh, you know, to advance to the second round. And so, you know, now Turk, you know, after a 13-year professional career, probably a little bit more, I'm probably off of my math, never good with that. But, you know, he's now coaching, you know, top AAU level teams and, you know, running several programs in the area to mentor and coach, you know, the youth, inner city youth in around the Philadelphia area. So, you know, we definitely got to give him his flowers while he's yeah, alive. For sure. And now, now, Turk, you know, the OG just gave you a real nice intro, right? But I'm going to let you know what he gave me, right? I got a, <laughs> I got a picture of you. I think uh, you were playing pro probably. And you got the white bandana on, on a dome. 
and he's in triple threat in the post. Now, only a real gangster can play in a pro game with the bandana on his top. Not a headband, but a bandana. So he, he gave you a little bit of an intro, but I don't think he told the whole story there. He was a gangster on the court, huh? Gangster, oh. half gangster, half crazy. I had a do-rag, so I had braids, so I had the do-rag hold my braids down so they ain't get frizzy for Afghan. But I wore the bandana because every time my mom would uh, start cleaning around the house, she put a bandana on and she just start working. And she turned the music on and she just locked and mm. working. And, like mm. she, she blocked herself and, and she just getting the whole house clean. So for me, that symbolized work. So when I put my bandana on, I'm blocking everything out and going to work. Uh, that Mary J. Yeah. Blige, my life. Damn, okay, okay. <laughs> I like how he flipped that. Shit. That she went from crazy yeah, to yeah. prophetic. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Who we got next on here? We got um, we got David Houston. We uh, we all know him as Davey. Um, he was a member of that Coppin State team from '97. Uh, what you got to say, man? I didn't, I didn't know he was. I didn't know this whole time. Yeah, I didn't know he was your teammate. Yeah, yeah. That man. was my guy, man. That's my guy. So, so Davey was. On that, you know, 97 Coppin team that, you know, the, that's talked about in the documentary. And he's also um, head coach of West Potomac High School in Alexandria, Virginia. So, you know, there's been many battles between T.C. Williams, where Coach Ryan played, and I coached against Davey. And, um, you know, since we left, they've had some <laughs> success. So, you know, so yeah, I say now it's probably <laughs> a bit of a rivalry. But, you know, he's been there 16 years as a head coach. And... You know, he has over 200 wins, which yeah, is big time. Yeah, we got to clap sure. that up. You know, um, two district titles to go with that. And, um, you know, what's probably most fulfilling um, for me to watch, you know, one of my, you know, fellow teammates have success on the high school level is the fact that he's coaching with his pops. Oh, that's you dope. Know, he's got his pops on the bench with him, man. So that's, that's big time, you know, getting a chance to you know, do the job that you want to do and have your family with you. Word. It's awesome. Now, Coach Coach is Houston, right? Yep. Coach Houston. Now, yeah. it all makes yeah. sense. Coach King used to pull me to the side before we played Westpo, and he used to give me a little extra pep talk. It was like, you better make sure that they don't get near, nowhere near close to a W. And I used to be like, <laughs> man, like, Westpo ain't really, what's going on here? Now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. It's a little personal. I was like, it's the only black coach in the district. Why are you taking it so hard on him? But no, man, nice to have you on, Victor. <laughs> yeah, thanks. For, you know, because, no. thanks, man. Thanks for joining. Appreciate, appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, yeah, uh, Drew, uh, 18 years, just finished 18th season. Um, and, uh, Five five titles this year. Oh, oh yeah, five, oh, my bad, uh, my bad. My math yeah. is off. Okay, my bad. Okay, yeah, okay. Get, yeah, get we, it straight. We, we, and also get it straight that uh, we were the first team to uh, beat TC when y'all had that uh, ridiculous four year run of like maybe four and a half year run of not losing their conference games. Uh, uh, we were the one that who was coaching that. So I just want to make sure you had that, huh? Who's you coach? was coaching Drew. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think know, we lost. Uh, 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 I think yeah, we lost. Uh, uh, we lost. Uh, <laughs> next cat. So <laughs> next next guy we have. I appreciate y'all having me though. Yes, for sir. Sure. Thanks for joining. Is um is Kyle Locke. He just joined us. Um, thanks, Kyle, for um getting off your conference call and joining us. So um Kyle is a guy that um was at Coppin, um, helped Coppin win four MEAC titles and advanced to the tournament um, once. And he's 10th all time on 
Coppin State list for three pointers made. Mm. And, you know, you know, coach went on to, you know, coach in college um, at um, Washington University and then um, and then come back to Coppin State and coach. And so, you know, he's been uh, a fixture in the in the Baltimore area in terms of coaching, you know, after his playing days. And um, a funny thing about a coach, an interesting thing is that he has coached three of his kids to the highest level of high school basketball. Two have been division one players, one a professional, uh, one will be a professional um, next year. I mean, the year after next year. And then his daughter, who he says is the best one of the three, is going to be a top division one player. That's a lot. You know, so we talking about, you know, that's a lot of lineage right there. Yeah. So Kyle, man, you're doing big things, man. For sure. And you got the nicknames down here as Black and, and Killer. Killer. And yeah. so for, for the people in, in Dubai, you you know, you don't see it's it's a lot of culture. We said we got a brain to Dubai. Um, and you know, when you hear nicknames like Black and Killer back home at the crib and you on the court, <laughs> there's only one or two things that's going on. <laughs> Either one, you gotta watch your head. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, um nice to have Big Dog going. Yep. Um is he can you hear us, Kyle? Yeah, yeah, y'all. Okay, okay, okay. All right, cool. First and foremost, oh, man, you got bad reception, man. Where you at? In the basement? Where you at? No, I'm in my office, brothers. All right, it's better right now. Okay. You got Boost Mobile. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you now. We got you now. You can hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Now I'm in my office. Okay. I'm in my office. Yeah. It's a much um, better connection now. All right. Perfect. All right, cool. I know well, it's first so... and foremost. Man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Drew. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Speak your piece, man. No, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you guys for having me on. And and Jules, I'm very proud of you. You're doing some big things out there. And um, you know, of course, we we try to stay in contact as much as we can. Hold up, man. I don't like the way you um, said that. I'm a little offended by the tone of your voice. I'm real proud. Like, I was going to be a, a career screw-up or something. <laughs> shit, I grew up too, shit. <laughs> I know Brown probably thinking, yeah, that, this, this motherfucker calling me. So it's probably oh, something. We, we are proud of you, man. Yeah, you come we, on, we Coach. We're definitely proud of you. Hey, Absolutely. Hey, fellas. Absolutely, we're proud hey, of you. Hey, fellas, man. It was Coach's birthday on the 22nd. Um, let's get at it. You know, it's always great to see our uh, OGs grow Did old. Right? <laughs> Did he, Did he, he, right? he got, close to that. You got jokes. <laughs> you got jokes. Yeah. But it's always, it's it's like pulling teeth trying to get him to accept a compliment or accept a birthday gift of, of any kind, man. So it's let just let the OG tell you he's proud of you without a problem, man. We gotta make sure the young the young cats that's watching can understand you gotta be able to accept and receive love as much as you give it too, man. It's a balance. It's all good. I'm proud of you too, man. Shut up. <laughs> so, so I know this is. He always uh, accepted it. He always accepted if it came with a bottle. <laughs> so you got, Hold on, fam. Bottle, you got a bottle. Hold on. Man. Man. You accept that, Jones. Oh. <laughs> well, next person. Listen, I know this is a long. Who was, that? was Reg? Huh? That that was that was Davy. Oh, oh, oh. Oh yeah. So I know this is a kind of like a long intro, but. I feel that we kind of dropped the ball last time by not really giving our listeners in the Middle East area um, a real idea of who we had on the call. All right, next we got Larry Stu Stewart. 
So, you know, you talk about um, one of the top players in Coppin history, MIAC history. Um, we're talking about one of the legends here, man. Um, he's one of two brothers that happen to have legendary status at Coppin. Um, we're talking about two-time MIAC player of the year, had his jersey retired, almost 2,000 points, a little over 1,000 rebounds in his playing career at Coppin. And then had a chance, you know, went on to play professionally in the NBA and then top-level um, EuroLeague teams. And then, you know, after playing, we still had a chance to come back. And uh, he's coach, you know, Division One college basketball coach um, after a few years at Bowie State. Now, then he went to Morgan State. Now he's at Maryland Eastern Shore. And so, you know, he didn't coach at Coppin, but he still he still was around and still was there to to help Coppin as much as possible. And so, you know, considering he was coaching with the enemy, you know, he still had Coppin in his heart first. So, you know, that was a that was a big up for us because you know just having somebody of his stature being around all the time was was great, man. And, and always being accessible and always treating us with love, man. So, um, so Stu, we really appreciate that, man. And thanks for joining. My God, no problem, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. You know, you guys are all like my little brother. So nothing but love all day long. Thank you. Thank you, man. And next is um, Eric Skeet Skeeters. Now, he's the reason we late because he gave me the wrong number for Brown. So everybody that, if your schedule gets a little jacked up, blame it on him. It ain't on me. <laughs> so, hey, man, show Skeet some love, I'm man. To, I'm about to run Come it on, down man. right now. What's up, Skeet, man? Uncle Rose says what's up, too, man. So, Julian, as <laughs> always, Julian, I take it when I came into business <laughs> as college coach, and I had to coach guys like Turk, Julian, uh, Davey, Kyle was one of the the guys that was holding us down with the feel I gear while Mook came through and 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 was on the computer and playing overseas or Stu uh, starting his restaurant. But I got to give shout out to Coach Brown for being the mentor. Um, and Jules, this was supposed to happen last week, so I'm really not late. <laughs> uh, hey man, so you. You know, to the people in Dubai, there's a guy I'm working with in this facility named Walter Smith that says he played for you. So, Kirk, it is Coach Jules. Because I got a guy working with me in this facility called Shoot 360. I'm over in Northern Whoa. Virginia. Whoa. So, Whoa. Davey and and, uh, and and Julian's old stomping ground <laughs> as coaches. And uh, I just want, I'm honored to be on. I'm honored to be a part of this. And what's up to everybody that's here? Uh, I have a lot of stories to tell. I don't know who I'm going to start with on this one. Okay. But uh, I'm, I'm excited and looking forward to, to telling the good people of Dubai just how successful cop and basketball really is. Okay. You know, and, 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 and when, you get a, when you get a chance to speak, Ski, I want you to really, I want you to not only talk about, uh, you know, how special your time was at Coppin, but, you know, also give us, you know, give the people a quick rundown of some of the other schools you've been at as well. So, so once we get a chance to get into that, man, we need to give everybody the full flow of actually what you've um, had a chance to experience and, comp and accomplish, man. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Um, we got the OG next. Oh right? yeah. We got, we got Mook on right now. Mook, you good? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. You're the last one to join. Yeah. We got you loud and clear, but you're the last one. Ask me why, ask me why he joined. Ask me why he joined. What'd you say? 
Ask me why you just joined. Why you just joined, Mook? I have no idea. I just I just got the information. <laughs> I, got, I got two. I got. I got no, two texts. Who just called you? Who just texted you and told you to join? Larry Stewart. Oh, who you? Oh, right. So listen, man, Mook. I talked to you um about three weeks ago, right? Yes, sir. And we set this up, right? Yes, we did. Okay, I'm just saying. So I didn't want you to be seem, make it seem like you were shocked to hear that we were getting on the call, but um. No, no, not at all. I just, I just said nothing was confirmed to me. So, but, but <laughs> nonetheless, we are here. Oh yeah, we're here. We're here. So let me give, That's um, fine. let me give our, you know, our players uh, a quick rundown of, of Stephen Mook, Mookie or Jackson Stewart. Um, he's the younger brother of Larry Stewart. You know, I, I talked about two brothers being um, legends at Coppin. <clears throat> we're talking about a guy, player of the year, in the MIAC. First team on MEAC several times. Um, just a dominating force under the rim. Um, I know he don't like to hear this, but it was amazing for me to see somebody at his size with no hops, no bounce, dominate games like that. He was almost like a black version of Kevin McHale, man. Oh, dang, I was going to give him Zach Randolph. <laughs> I mean, he's a gangster. Hey, hey, McHale was a monster, man. You know, that yeah. footwork. So, you know... <clears throat> Very impressive player, man. And then, you know, after uh, at Cop, you know, played professionally um, <clears throat> for a few years and and then got into coaching, man, because that's just, you know, one of his true passions, man. He's He's got a real gift of, of being able to reach players and, and get them to play up to their potential. And so, you know, he started at Cop in 2001 to 2004, then Albany U, Loyola, Maryland, Delaware, Back to Coppin State and then Delaware State. So as you can see, oh, matriculated. <laughs> oh come on, yeah, yeah, matriculate, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, man. Like, okay. all right. Hey, hey. They listening. They listening. I know they listening. I'm just saying for the for part three. Yeah, that's why I want to know what kind of podcast is this. <laughs> for for part for part three, there's a few people we ain't inviting back. You know what I mean? No, so, I, I got the numbers now. We all good. <laughs> so so Mook, thanks for joining, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah, I, I was it's waiting. I was I was gonna pull your card after you did the introduction, but you acted real brand new. Oh, come on, man. You know I'm always throwing out <laughs> something once or twice. Come on, man. You know that real PC so, um, right now. So um, so last but not least, man, we got. Coach Derek Brown, um, you know, this is what we consider, as, as Turk once said um, in his acceptance speech of a MEAC Player of the Year, we're talking about the backbone of Coppin State basketball. Hmm. You know, we're just talking about a genius in terms of X's and O's and, and just how to manage people. Um, he's a guy that came to uh, Coppin and Coach, was it 1986? Yes, it was. 1986, man. And um, I think he was at Cop for 30 plus years. Um, 30 mid- years, uh, basically, exactly. 30 years, man, as a Coppin basketball coach on the men's side. And then he finished up on the women's side. And, and we, I mean, we'd be here. We'd be here another two or three hours trying yeah. to run down all of his accomplishments, but we'll get into some of that later. But um, we are all lucky to have been coached and been around this man um, during our times at Coppin State, just because he's a legend. Yeah. He'll, he'll never he'll never acknowledge it. He'll never boast about anything. Um, he's a guy that he does his job and kind of settles into the background 
and allows the players to enjoy the moment because yeah. he's truly doing this for his love of the game. That's love. So, so Coach Brown, man, thank you for joining. Yes. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time, um, for 30 years, uh, I never had to work hmm. because it was something that I just enjoyed doing. You know, couldn't wait to go to work every morning. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, let me interject something about that bandana and that Turk hat. <laughs> <laughs> when you come to Turk one morning, came to practice, you know, we had 5.30 a.m. practices. And I guess it was a cold day. And Turk had a thermal, long sleeve thermal shirt on underneath of his jersey and long thermal pants on, you know, as they were stretching. I didn't say a word to him. I said, uh, Turk, I don't know how Fang's going to like this one. I said something to him, Brown, but go ahead. I did. I tried to tell him. Sure, sure enough, it was like, Take that shit off, Dirk. <laughs> oh man, oh shit! That's that's the story on, we had. Give the whole story. Give the whole story, that, Brown. That goes down as the worst get practice of cop in history. <laughs> when we talk about the whole story now, you know, I'll be, on the 14th of May, I'll be 70 years old, so oh, I, I don't remember the whole stories too much anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, with, you, mind if, <laughs> you mind if I you get you, you mind if the young fella? In his first year, who has that day etched in his mind? <laughs> oh yeah, listen, bro, that thing is that day is etched in my mind. Walking in the building and Turk, and just so we know, Turk was a trendsetter, like Brown said, because when LeBron and Melo and those pros started wearing the long cutoff, Turk did that in the nineties. Yeah, so yeah. Turk shooting, he's doing his form shooting warm up, and I'm down there like. As Brown says something to him, I'm, I'm the young guy. So I say, hey, listen, Turk. Listen, man, hurry up. Go change. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm scrolling in there. <laughs> and doing his form shoot, guys are coming down out the training room, and here comes Fang in the door with his bag. And I don't know if he got to the table or not. And so he yells out, Turk? <laughs> Turk! He goes, Turk! Turk turns around and goes, what? <laughs> On the line. <laughs> and that's how practice started. <laughs> Man. <laughs> Man. Hey, we didn't see another ball the rest of the practice. We didn't see another ball the rest of the practice. That, that, form, that form shooting was the last time there was a basketball. <laughs> I got it. I got in trouble, right? I was reprimanded for what every basketball player in the world right now cannot play without. <laughs> I got in trouble for that in the 90s. Right now, there's not a basketball player in the world that can play without tights or spandex. Yeah, yeah, but sure. Turk, you had the white, you had the white, you had thermals on, like Turk. The, uh, <laughs> Come on, Turk. Those, those weren't, they, they weren't tights. And they were not feel they, they were not feel additions. So you was you was out of uniform, bro. <laughs> they were white thermals. The, they were the white thermals, sir. White thermals. The purpose was to keep you warm when coach start talking for 30, 45 minutes. That's the same purpose as spandex. Compression and warmth. Turk said they ain't have that. They ain't have that new age technology back then. He had to do what he had to do with what he had. So so, just so you guys understand, 
at the end of Turk's first year, he had a plaque sent to Fang's office. He was a GTE and Kodak first team academic All-American. And Fang kept the plaque on his desk. And it says, Eric, I, he's never getting it. And I was like, come on, man, why wouldn't you get a guy's plaque? He earned it. He says, because nobody would ever believe me. <laughs> no, man. That if I like told them he was an academic All-American, they wouldn't believe me. Yeah. What's funny is last episode when we had this talk with the first group, this same story popped up. So I can only imagine how it really felt in the real time. Well, um, let's get into some of those things about that actual team. And I want to start with Coach Brown. Um, Coach Brown, you, you can hear as well? Yeah, I hear you fine. Coach Brown, the last episode, we had a lot going on. And it was all from the players' perspective. You know, they talked a lot about what it was like coming to practice and work every day and what it was like to play together. But you had the best view of all, right? You got to see those guys become a team, become a brotherhood. You got to see them work through their differences with Coach Fang and with themselves. Um, we talked a lot about how, how many transfers you guys had coming from Power 5 talents and different things and making them work together. So I'd love to hear about what made that journey magical and at what point did you realize that this group could be something special? Well, uh, basically, what group are you talking about? The, uh, the Cop and Space I, group. I basically, I, I started with uh, Larry in the 90s. I sort of categorized our championship seasons um, going from 90 to 93 to 97. There's always an argument about which team was the best, mm. and I'll leave that to the players. Hey, Coach, uh, you were on ESPN Plus, and you, by quote, said 1997 best team ever. <laughs> well, basically because, because, because they did win a game. Yeah. They did win a game. So, you know, I will say that the, uh, I think the 97 team was probably the best team, followed by the 90 team. And then the 93 team, Mook's not on, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it, it, probably uh, the toughest coach um, in the country, I would say. And the, the players that we did get, uh, some of them trans transferred in for, for different reasons. Uh, we had some non-qualifying people uh, back when, you know, the SAT carried a lot of weight. And so they had to sit out a year and they were biting at the bit to get on the floor and play the, the following year. Uh, so it, it took um, it took some time for all of them to get together and, and, and play as a unit. Uh, but the enjoyable thing was they just wanted to play. You know, they just wanted to play and I don't think we had the egos that other teams had. Uh, it was just about let's, let's go out there and prove to people in the country that we deserve a seat at the table. And I think we did. I think we did. You know, just going from the uh, beating Maryland uh, uh, back in 90, uh, no, nobody thought we'd be able to do that. And we beat them convincingly. Um, 
with with Mook and and those guys going undefeated for a few years, a couple of years in in the MIAC. Um and then the '97 team that actually won a game where I think it was uh, unanimous as our name was being picked to play South Carolina that we could win that game, uh, basically because they didn't have a dominating big man. And we, we said guard to guard, you know. Uh, me at guards, I'll put them against anybody in the nation. And uh, I think we proved that uh, with a, I don't know, 13-point win. Mm-hmm. That was pretty convincing. Yeah. And probably should have won the next game also. Now, uh, Coach King has kind of told me that you were like the Tex Winter of that team, like b- behind behind the big personality of fame. That was you, you know, kind of the the quiet genius. Hold on, um, hold on. Talk to us, Turk. Hold on, we're gonna stop. We're gonna stop associating uh, Coach Brown with Tex Winter because mm. Tex Winter couldn't do what Coach Brown did. Mm, talk we had about attitudes, it. we had problems, we had backgrounds. And we weren't as good as those people that Tex Winter was working with. Coach mm-hmm. Brown did it with nothing. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, we was nothing. He built something from nothing. So I think he above a Tex Winter. But just so y'all understand, he was like the brains behind it all. Right. Well, uh, who, who was that? And, and, and real that? quick, Coach Brown, and if I could humbly say, Julian, to, co- to confirm what Turk was saying, most coaches in the business, I don't care what level you're, high school, college, or NBA, come off a coaching tree, and I learned this from Brown and Fang, was that they were self-taught. Mm. So even like Rick Pitino, Bobby, Rick Pitino is off like Hubie Brown and Jim Beheim's coaching tree. Yep. Mm. Mike Krzyzewski's off of Bobby Knight's coaching tree. You know, Roy Williams is off of Dean Smith, and Dean Smith was taught by the coaches at Kansas. And so the lineage of Coach Brown and Coach Fang and what they accomplished at Coppin State really starts with them. They created their coaching tree. I don't think, and Brown, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you and Fang weren't assistants to anyone else in the coaching profession, correct? Um, basically a, a summer league. So imagine that, a college basketball program that was dominant in the 90s as any program in any level, Kansas, UNLV, Connecticut, Duke, and Coppin, have the highest win percentages and conference championships at any of all college basketball in the 90s, in the 1990 to 1999. So to reinforce what everybody understand, what Coach Brown and Coach Frank were able to accomplish, Coppin State basketball, with Coppin State basketball, were from guys that were self-taught coaches. They built that program, in the words of Phil Booth, Brick by brick. Mm. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. He did like a Coppin State almanac. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's a gym right there. Let me, like, just say, let me just say that we did we did coach eight years of um Fang and I of junior college basketball. And we did uh Phil Booth was one of our players at Gloucester County Community College and uh came down to Baltimore with us. Damn. Um going back going back to um a coaching tree. Um, my last year in high school, we won a championship. We were 27 and 0. And I was coached by a young man named Gary Williams, who went on to win a national championship <laughs> at Maryland. 
So I don't know if you can put me under that tree or not. But it, there was a lot of clinics that um, I, I went to during those years, uh, put in the money and probably heard uh, every big time coach in, um, in the nation at one time. It was called the Medalist Clinic. And um, just about all any, any coach that you can name back in that day, uh, I listened to. I listen to Hubie Brown on television now. Mm-hmm. He was the best at all of those clinics. He, he, you know, he's still teaching like one-on-one basketball when he talks, but uh, he was fantastic. Yeah. And we, act, we actually ran our first offense at Coppin. We ran Hubie Brown's offense. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been, I can say it again, you know, I didn't, I had, didn't work for 30 years. Hmm. It, it was just enjoyment, Coach. you know, just to um, have those players um, and, and, and just go to work every day. Coach, I, uh, I want you to come back to that just before we wrap up at the end, because one of the questions I have at the end is something that um, you can definitely relate to. And it would be great for you to speak on this along with everybody else just before we finish, mm-hmm. um, because our players and young coaches in this area definitely need to hear that. And and the way the question is set up, I think you guys will all agree that it's it's gonna help some of our listeners in the US as well. Yeah. So so please keep that keep that thought. Yeah. And and what you guys pointed out, and I'm glad Turk and, and Coach Keith made sure to correct me on the emphasis on what he really meant mm-hmm. because that kind of entails and shows us what the path is like right now. Um, you know, for me, I'm we call our podcast Bridging the Gap. And that's because I'm 30. Coach King is a few years older than me. Right. And there's a gap between information given to my generation and younger. But we are the ones that are leading the next generation of basketball people. We talk about the grassroots coaches. Some people are the trainers. And a lot of them are getting their information from the wrong places yeah. or they're, they're cutting corners. And they're not going to those coaching clinics and they're not getting any information from a coach Brown or skeet from anybody from the elders. So they're leading the next generation and they're coming into college unprepared or now because of the transfer portal and everything else, they're not even getting the opportunity to get there because they don't get the good right information. And so right now we are trying to place an emphasis on the coaches, the young generation of coaches being better and being more um, efficient with their, education about the game but I I can already tell coach Brown is very 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 humble Um, and so I'm gonna go to coach Keith coach Keith you got to watch from a young graduate assistant spot Um, and I remember before I went to grad school um, you know you know Uncle Ro I always refer to him as Uncle Ro the the podcast listeners know Um, but I met you before I knew that coach King and you guys had history I remember that night going to Uncle Ro's house when he was coaching at Mason and you were there at dinner as well. And I remember... Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, young fella. Now it all comes together. Exactly. Oh, okay, and, okay. And I remember I remember Uncle Ro, I was, I was talking to Uncle Ro and I remember him telling me, he was like, look... I know you love basketball and all these other things. He said, but you're smart, so you don't have to be in the basketball game like I do. Because I wanted to be, I wanted to coach, and I wanted to get into that graduate assistant thing or just get there as a young buck. But I remember him telling me, he was like, when you get in as a 24, 25, 26-year-old on these staffs, you don't have a life. 
<laughs> whatever this coach wants you to do, you on the road all day, you're not getting paid anything, and you just got to go through it. And so when Coach King was telling me the stories about what you had to go through <laughs> in your first years so, at Coppin, I was like, ah, right, now it all makes sense. <laughs> Tell me what your perspective was so, like with that team. First of all, thank you for that uh, connection. So now I understand exactly who you and, and remember exactly who you are. I talked to Roland the other day. Um, I was a high school JV coach, AAU coach, and varsity assistant at St. Francis Academy, also being a student at Coppin State for, uh, so for four years, 92 to 96. And in that time frame, I was working as, as a work study in the athletic department in, in, in men's basketball. So I would sit and practice. I would bring my JV teams to practices. I would come to the games. I'd bring my guys to the games. And the beauty of what Fang and Brown did every day was teach. Hmm. Now, Turk was talking about Fang's long speeches. <laughs> he was a perfectionist. When it came to defense, he was a perfectionist. When I came on in 96 as a full-time assistant, I was still finishing up my classes, but at Coppin, it allowed me to be a full-time employee without having finished up my degree. And so I would sit with Brown Every day, Brown wrote out, now we, this is the days before technology, computers and things of that nature. Brown had a yellow legal pad and he wrote out the practice plan in pencil every day. And so that's what we worked from. And I learned that as a JV coach, I'd sit in there and literally copy his practice plan to the letter and, and run it with my JV teams. And, and he so folded it up. he folded it up and stuff. Tucking in the band of his short that he had his shirt tucked in, in his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so every so we had no cable in the offices. We had until what was it 96 or 97 when Stu was in the league. <laughs> Stu brought us a deck to deck dual VHS VCR <laughs> recorder so we could speed record game. We had no technology. Oh man, shout out to we Stu. Had no yeah. technology. You know, yeah, shout out to Stu, oh, no doubt. Sure. We we learned that was the upgrade, was a speed <laughs> doubler. So they got these synergies and these games online and these, and these kids, these clips and these highlight videos. And copping all that winning, you're talking about undefeated seasons, multiple player of the years. And if the rule was in place where the regular season champ got an automatic bid to the NIT, copping would have went to nine postseasons in the decade of the 90s. And they, they went to five. So they would have had four more because they outright or shared the MIAC regular season championship nine out of 10 years in the 90s, 90 to 99. So with that said, the the the, the basket one, and it's, it, it breaks my heart that the building is not there anymore. So I don't, excuse my language, but I don't know who the asshole was that approved knocking down the Coppin Center on Coppin State's campus because... That the success in that building, Coppin State in 1996-97 had the nation's longest home win streak. And I'm gonna give you the short version. When we beat Duquesne by 30 on on cable TV in their shoot around, they were laughing at the building. We had like a bleacher high school gym, and they were saying, "This is the place with the with the nation's longest home win streak." And when 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 we Fang subbed in Joe Allen and they cut the lead to 28 or 27 with like two minutes to go. Fang, I mean, Brown yelled at Fang, 
get his ass out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Hank turned around and said, why, Dick? Why? Why do we need to take him out? I'm not putting those starters back in. Because he fucking went out 30-point <laughs> on national TV. <laughs> so the level, I, I, and I could go on for hours of the level of, of dominance, the, the intelligence of Coach Brown and Coach Fang, and what I've learned, Fang and his defense, Brown, if you were, if you would think of football, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, like Bill Belichick is a defensive-minded guy as the head coach, and he's got other guys that run the offense. Well, not that neither one of them didn't know both. I won't get into that because Fang knew offense. He ran the shit out of y'all one night because Troy questioned him. <laughs> <laughs> when he asked Troy what was he doing, and Troy said, it's called blue. <laughs> and so he started to run y'all. I don't know I don't know Davey Turk. I don't know if y'all remember that day Brown had to go pick up his son, and he left practice or took him to the dentist, and y'all just ran for the next hour because <laughs> Troy got smart with him. Fang said, like, I don't know fucking offense. <laughs> He's going to tell me it's called blue. <laughs> so, so the the teaching and the and the talent level. Let me let me not discredit the talent level, the transfers, and the guys who were all Philadelphia, all South Jersey, all the, the all public league in Philly. We had a few guys from the local areas, Baltimore, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and got the talent level. Let's, let me just put it this way. That 97 team, that 97 team we had, and, I, and Brown, you talk about the Almanac. I got that, that etched into my mind. Look at, the, look at the box score. Look at the stat sheet. We had eight different guys lead us in scoring in one game throughout the course of that season. Mm-hmm. Fred Ward, Kareem Lewis, Turk Mott, Reggie Welch, Antoine Brockington, Danny Singletary. I think it was Julian King, and I can't remember the eighth guy. It was eight different guys. But for one night, was the leading score in a game for Coppin State basketball. That's that 97 team. I was fortunate enough to be. That was my first year in college coaching. Didn't make much money. I definitely <laughs> didn't make much money. I made grad assistant money compared to what it was today. It is today, yeah. but. The talent level and the intelligence of the coaches, I still have today. Like, I'll leave you with this. Kenny Taylor, may he rest in peace, was our strength coach, and he was the wrestling coach. And so on Christmas break, on Christmas break, Turk, our locker, the the weight room was right across from the office. And Turk would put his his weightlifting uh, sheet in in a file cabinet by Brown's office. So he's coming in like two or three days over the Christmas break. I'm like, Turk, what are you doing? Why are you still, what are you doing? He's like, I'm doing maintenance. I was like, what is that? Now, again, I'm a first-year coach. He says, from whenever we stop lifting on uh, October 15th, wherever they maxed out with KT, I bet you not near dude on this team can come close to what they maxed out at. And I'm like, okay, so what does that mean? You, you, you're lifted. So come February, March, I'm going to be stronger than anybody in college basketball because wherever I stopped at, wherever I maxed out at, that's when I'm still lifted. Three days a week, I do upper body. Two days a week, I do legs. Hmm. To, to this day, when they do maintenance and work, maintenance work throughout the course of the season, guys lift. That was the first time I've heard of. Now, maybe that's not the first time it was ever put in. But my thing is the intelligence of, a, of an individual player. We had no one else lifting 
on the basketball team, but Turk. Now, maybe Turk brought some guys in there with him on the off days. I don't know. But I learned maintenance from Turk with Mott and our Christmas break and on his own mm. would lift five days a week during the Christmas break. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this just before um, I, I send a question towards Stu. Um, Ski, I'll say Davey used to lift all the time, too. Because if you remember, maybe you don't remember uh-huh. this. Yeah, Davey used to lift all the time because Reg used to always say Davey would do six days a week upper body and one day a week lower body. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Red said, so Red said, Dave was shaped like the brown okay. hornet. <laughs> so, so, so Turk wasn't oh, the only boy. one lifting. He was just the only one lifting the right way. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> My bad. Thanks for that clip. Thanks for that interpretation, Joe. <laughs> nobody knew what a brown hornet is, man. You just went 50 years back. That's why you're 50 years old. Hey, we all old. That's everybody knows who the brown hornet is. Um, but this 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 next one is um for you, Stu. I think Kyle just joined us. Um yeah. you you being a cop and legend and and getting a chance to <clears throat> play after college and then and coach on the college level, how much heat did you take from being at Crosstown Morgan State, man? Mm, he was a Morgan? <laughs> How do you handle that, man? Uh, I mean, hey, Jake, you, you, I mean, you must don't really know me. I don't take heat. Yeah, I don't <laughs> deal with heat. You know, people know me, so they know where my heart is. But they also know that, you know, this is, this is work. This is the opportunity to make money. Mm. So, you know, it ain't personal, it's business. So everybody know where my heart lies. So, you know, it wasn't no heat. It was it was all fun, just like I would tell the guys when we play them. Hey, listen, I love y'all to death, but guess what? I'm trying to win this game today. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, it's it's all love. You know, my, my heart be, bleeds the, the blue and gold all day long. But when it's time to make money, I'm going to go to anywhere. Gotcha. Gotcha. You know, I always, I always just wondered about that, man. You know, if you, you know, whatever, uh, you know, think about, no, nah, no heat. All fun, all love. Okay. Yeah. You got some more. You got some more questions. I'm about to ask him the real stuff. You can go ahead. You, you got a question for Stu? No, for everybody. All right, go ahead. I know everybody's <laughs> sitting on their hands. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like I said, I've I've been around a coach. He didn't really give a good introduction for me, but he was my high school coach, like my mentor, family, and then he dragged me out to to Dubai for what? Nope, don't interrupt. No, don't no, interrupt. no, I don't no. like that shit. You no, said no, no. I, I didn't give you a good introduction. I no, said no. I said you would introduce introduce yourself because Man. you talk all the damn time. Look, here we go. So this ain't no problem with that. Here we shit. go. Here we go. So he dragged me out here to Dubai. We we I was supposed to only be here for two years. We're here for. He told me I just had to do four days days of work a week or whatever I've been I've been working 24 hours even during the pandemic and I got to see every personality from Julian King you know so I want to know what he was like to coach and to play with and this is open floor everybody if you interacted with JK when he was coming out of Temple when he got the coffin after coffin anything tell the truth about it because you know we get the coaching side and everybody all the parents don't believe me when I tell them how he really is it's free I'm throwing the lob to anybody that want to come out here and really talk about an experience with JK or Jupac this is some bullshit <laughs> You know, what you guys see right now is me. Uh, nice guy. You know what I'm saying? Work hard. 
and try to help young guys. Come on, so, uh, come uh, on, stop it. See, stop look, it. see, look, see, look. I think that um, Julian came with a wealth of talent uh, from Temple, um, on the floor, intellectually uh, on the floor, and physically on the floor. Um, had some great games. Had some highs and lows. I'll say that. Highs and lows. Um, I think maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, maybe was a little intimidated by Fang at first uh, because of his, you know, just the way Fang was. You know, and especially if you allow him to intimidate you, it doesn't stop for a while, you know, until until you um, sort of stick your chest out and say, okay, I'm going to get this done. So, and I think he did get it done. He got it done. But um, I think, to be truthful, Julian, I think you could have been a much better player than what you portrayed out on the floor at Coppin. Come on <laughs> now. Now, I got to step up and say something. Oh, I there ain't really nothing soft about me. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm coming there. You're saying I couldn't take Coach Chaney cursing at me. That was one thing that I never had an issue with him. The issue I had up there was, and I'm being I'm being real with you guys, is that some other guys on the squad that were considered soft were getting opportunities later in the year over me because he said, I knew you're okay. I know you're okay, but I got to make sure that these other guys are going to be with us. So I, I said, they can't take some of the stuff that I give you at practice. So coming to Coppin, I'm not going to necessarily, I was fearful of Fang. At that time, Coach, Coach Brown, I was more so concerned, like, did I make the right decision? Because I completely went against everything John Chaney told me to do in terms of, one, sit out, think about it, or take all your visits, think about it. And I didn't. And so when I came to Coppin, and then I did see the, the type of demeanor that Fang had sometimes, I would worry sometimes about what my next move is. But it was never me being fearful of Fang. But I remember this one thing in particular, and I'll never forget this. Brown told me one day, he pulled me aside. He says, I think your biggest problem is you're too damn smart. You think you know everything. Mm. And to this day, I still remember that because I was undercover an asshole, mm. you know. And so I might not say something, but I might do something in retaliation to something undercover yeah what i say undercover i don't I, think I, y'all know like that it undercover about it come on man, yeah, man. come on man mm, yeah. i think I think, I think some of the uh the, i think some of the chinese delivery people that was getting them uh balloons in their head <laughs> would uh, say undercover yeah, like it wasn't no you, you got on the sixth floor throwing water balloons at all of the uh delivery people <laughs> they couldn't even deliver food to cop and dorm no more at me, forget the delivery people at me, at the biggest guy on campus. <laughs> hey, I didn't know you was doing yeah. that to me to the China, man. Listen, man, there were certain th- certain times where you know you just gotta if you got but a lot you know, of you got a lot of energy uh, bent, bent built up, you gotta let it out sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Jules, I and I and I think you stored you stored things in, you mm-hmm. know, instead of letting it out as, as you should have. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. You know, different personalities, like like Stu said. You know, we we didn't say Stu's other uh, nickname. Also, big person. 
So, <laughs> and Big Big Percy would just be stoic. When Fang would get on him, he just, you know, he never changed his expression. He just looked at him and then just went about his business. Now, mm-hmm. Larry, still, you can talk about how you felt when, when Fang got on you. But, you know, you, you said earlier that heat doesn't bother you. So, mm-hmm. and, I, and I never saw it bother you when Fang was getting on you. You know, you you just, you, you were just you. You know, you, you were the same way throughout practice. You were the same way on campus. You know, you were just, you were still, you were a big person, you know? Yeah. Big person. I mean, and, and, and a lot of that, I guess, it had to do with the fact that, number one, you know, when I, you know, a lot of people don't really, a lot of people don't really understand that, you know, I didn't really play basketball. Like, I played two years of high school basketball, like, organized. Everything else I did was unorganized. So I grew up playing on the crate, mm. you know. So, you know, I, I was an unknown, you know, product coming out of Philadelphia. I fell in love with the game, you know, my, my sophomore year in high school after going to watch my uh, high school, which was diving tech, playing the championship game. You know, at that time, you know, you had Hank and Bo and, you know, they were playing South Philly, you know, who had Lionel Simmons at that time. So, mm. you know, here I am, you know, L-train. I never played basketball. I never played basketball. The game is being played at McGonagall Hall, Temple. Me and my, you know, my, my crew guys, you know, we say, hey, we're going to go to the game. You know, I walk into the gym and, you know, everybody, we all know McGonagall and how it is. And it's like, you can't even move in there. It's like the whole city of Philadelphia (laughs) is in there. And at that moment, boom, I fell in love with the game of basketball. So for me, when going into college, you know, I had to to sit out my first year. So that year was real tough. You know, here I am. I only played two years of high school basketball. Now I'm in at Coppin in my freshman year. I'm not playing. So I lost a lot of focus. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear I'm at an HBCU. Let, let's be real. We know what Coppin was like. You know, you guys reap the benefits of, 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 of a lot of our success. But when we first got there in 87, Coppin was, it, it, it was crazy. So I lost my focus in that year. So going into my, that that my sophomore year, we you know we getting ready to play. Here I am thinking, you know, I'm the man and all this kind of stuff. Da da da, and um, you know, Fang is just riding me, riding me. I think I don't know how close he was to the season at that time, Brown. But you know, he's just riding me for like six, seven days. And like Brown said, I was the type of guy I just didn't say anything. You know, it's no purpose in words. You know, you gotta you gotta produce what I'm gonna say. I, I'm gonna go show you. So you know, that's just the type of person that I was, but. You know, he rode me so much with that it got it got to me. And I said something, I snapped, and you know, it was like the first time I ever said something. Everybody just like stopped moving. You know, from that point on, you know what it was. It was on the line and we just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. And, ran. and, and but out of that, but out of that, I didn't get the opportunity to start my first college basketball game. And that woke me up. You know, I, I, I come up under a guy named John Harnett, who, you know, is a mm. legend in Philadelphia. And, you know, and like everybody said, you know, you're also dealing with a different time. So you couldn't just pick up a phone. So in this moment of land, Frank telling me, hey, you're not going to start. And as Stu was saying, when we first started out, it was it was hectic. 
it was hectic. And, and we had to go into when, the, when um, we got basically kicked out of there and had to find a, another place to live. Yeah. And Bruiser Flint was the assistant coach at the time. Yeah. And Fang told him to get the team and take them to the mall. Walk around the mall, <laughs> and then I'll call you when we find another place to live. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the greatest stories ever. One of the greatest stories ever. And to add to that, we, we had to store our stuff inside of, I think it, it turned into the weight room, hmm. I believe. It was, it was the training room that turned into the weight room. Damn. Yes. We had to store our clothes in there. And then at when our classes and stuff ended, when it was time for the van to, you know, take us back, we would go get our clothes for the next day. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's wild. Wow. Like, That's... like people don't say, like there was no cafeteria on campus. Wow. Right. There was so no Fang cafeteria. I, we basically found, Fang found these apartments to go to that weren't furnished. So, <laughs> You know, we got money together to where we put, we bought all of the furniture ourselves and and carted it all in our cars to these different apartments. I think we had four apartments, and uh, guys, guys were happy. <laughs> oh, a rest, and then the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what you call a coaching grind right yeah. there. That's well, real. Well, coach, I'm glad you brought that up, Coach. Um, a few times on this po- podcast, we've talked about uh, what guys like John Chaney, Fang Mitchell, um, John Thompson had to do as far as doing everything, driving the bus maybe, cleaning up the gym, yep. sweeping the floor and all those things. And that type of grind and what that cost and what that built as far as culture for a team. And we have a lot of young guys that are listening that say they want to be coaches and they don't understand what that in- what all that entails. That means you're a counselor some days, right? That means sometimes you are taking up everything from out the gym. But talk about what that grind did and how that helped you relate to your players. Um, because I hear a lot about how your guys were managed differently because of you and how you can manage so many different personalities. And Coach Keith, for you too as well, because you're at the point now, it's been 20 years or so between that first grad assistant job and now, and you've learned so much in between there, but you had to do everything from the bottom up. Well, I think I I basically was the buffer Hmm. uh, between the players and Fang. You know, as hard as and as sharp as Fang was, you know, sometimes they, I had to go to them and just sort of explain things to them, uh, how things were, you know, how things are going to be if we just stay the course. Um, things, things were very tough in the beginning, very tough. Uh, my first, uh, when we first started talking about going to Coppin, uh, I, I did call Gary Williams and I asked him about it because this was a move. You know, I had basically never been out of the city of Camden other than going to Philadelphia. And this was a move that I was going to make. And the thing he told me, he said, if you're going to be a division one coach, you're going to have to sleep, eat and drink basketball 24 hours a day. And that had always stuck with me 
You know, if you don't love the game, if you don't just have a passion for it, um, you're in the wrong profession. Mm-hmm. Because I think in order to be successful in anything, you have to have that passion. You have to have that love. And um, like Turk said, the rest is history. Mesquite mm-hmm. mm-hmm. on? Well, yeah. If I can just add <laughs> the one thing hey, about Brown. Hey, oh, go ahead, Steve. Brian, you know I'm eating right now. It's been four hours. I know. I know. <laughs> the one thing about their relationship with Coach Brown and Fang, where they've known each other all in lives, so Brown could see something coming on the horizon and he would prevent it. Mm. Prevent a kid from reacting the wrong way or prevent uh, Fang from reacting the wrong way. And he would put out five before they even got started. And the, the grind of coaching it's like Coach Brown just said, is if you love it, then it's not working. Mm. So there was never a day where there weren't good times. Like Brown told me one day I walked in the office, my friend had called him. He told me, sit down and set my bag down and wipe that smile off my face. Like, because he had me, I had to go drive up to the Maryland house to get some guys out of, out of <laughs> The Merlin House, and I'll leave that for Davey to tell that story. You enjoy him and tell that story. Wait, wait. So I'm picking you, Reggie Welch, or one of y'all to tell that story. But it wasn't work. And the thing about it was, you knew the guys when you played, whoever you played, wherever you played, were tough, mentally tough, physically tough, and can overcome a whole lot of circumstances. A lot of the losses that Coppin took in the non conference game against the Power Five team were at the buzzer. We're by one, we're by single digits, we're in overtime. So even though they lost a lot of games playing in those against those power conference teams, they weren't they weren't blowouts. Mm. They knew when they beat Cobb and they beat a great team, not a good team. They knew that they beat somebody that was good enough to play them in their conference. And bang, when it came to conference play, and Mook and, and, and Kyle, this was your guys now when I was coaching high school. I remember him walking down the baseline of y'all and telling y'all, we're not MIAC. We just happen to play in this conference. Mm-hmm. We play, we work, we teach at a level that we can play with anybody, anywhere in the country at any time. Only thing is we're in the MIAC conference. That's it. But our level of play, our level of toughness, our level of talent is beyond this conference. And it's proven in the success of everybody, every, every team that came in there in the 90s. Every team. And it was a tradition that I had to try to uphold was Bruiser Flint to Kirk to Nate uh, Blackwell to myself in your first year, you won a championship. As an assistant coach at Cop, and it was Fang and Brown and whoever the system was after Brew, first year you won a championship, you went to the NCAA tournament. Mm. So if, if I'm answering the question correctly, Jules, and, and if that's, you know, it, it wasn't work. Fang and Brown had a relationship. They were lifelong friends. And it, it was a it was a, a partnership where even they went to the women's side. <laughs> so think about that. Brown coached the women's team, assistant with the men's team for a couple of years. I don't know if you did it for a year or two, Nick. As yeah. assistant with the men and the head coach with the women. How that's long gangsta. was that? That's gangster. That's crazy. Years. Years. There you go. I mean, you know, I, you go. I, if, I, if I can say this, I'll try to be quick. You know, th- those non-conference games that we played, Um, as Skeet was saying, we lost a lot of close games. We actually lost a game after the game was over. 
uh, and Larry can speak on this, we beat <laughs> Illinois State um, by two points. And the buzzer sounded, and we were all walking on the floor, and one of their players just randomly was going to shoot the ball, and Larry just reached over and just wouldn't let him shoot. He didn't foul him. He just grabbed the ball. And the referee called a foul. Wow. Referee called the foul. The game was over. The referee called the foul, and we had to put the boy on the – the boy went to the foul line, made two, and went into overtime, and we lost the game in overtime. That's crazy. You know, these, these things These things were incredible. You know, we, uh, one, of, one of the happy moments was we went out to Creighton. And Creighton was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were, if not top 20, top 30. Yeah, we, we, we beat them out there. And it was basically a home-and-home home game. Um, and they sent us $20,000 not to come to us and play the next year. <laughs> mm. So, you know, we, we, we had some games. We've been all over the country playing, you know, and um, you had to be up by 20 points with five minutes left to go in order to win the game. Damn. You know, which, which, which is understandable because they're paying you money to come out there. They're not, they're not, you're not supposed to come out there and win. Right. But to, to, um, where 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 team where teams out there wanted to play us because they wanted a good game. They were going to beat you, but they wanted a good game. They didn't want a total blowout. So you know that non-conference schedule basically set us up for conference play. Now we did have to get used to coming back and having guards just go past us in in the conference because they were so quick. You know, the, the conference was different than playing those bigger teams uh, out in the Midwest because they passed the ball around a lot and then threw it into the big man. Where in the MEAC, they're coming down the floor and the guards going to try to go by you fast. So that was the thing we had to get used to. But that non-conference schedule did toughen us up for the conference. <clears throat> I want to tell hey, can, I, can I say as a as a coach, I used to go see Coach Brown on a regular basis. Um, I was a fre- like a freshman and JV coach. Coach Brown, you may not even remember. I used to just come up, drive up there, and just like spend an hour or so in your office. Yeah, I remember. And I, I would always just ask, like, you know, what's the new stuff? Like, draw something up. And I always just felt like, you know, X's and O's. I still to date haven't met a a, a better tactician on the whiteboard. Um, but I used to bring my my high school players um, up to the to the Coffin Center to watch all the time. And I wasn't sure. I didn't know when the transition with you to the girls was happening, but I could tell it because I could just see there's no knocking anybody that was running stuff. But I just knew how e- your execution on offense was. And I could see it was like a little bit different Then I noticed you went on the bench. And then I saw you and I realized, like, you know, that's that that's a telling tale right there when um, you were so instrumental into all the offense all the, all those years everybody's talking about like and I don't think everybody understands when you know Julian said like offensive and defensive coordinator I mean I still have never seen anything like that before in a college basketball uh setting where you know somebody's just doing all one um and uh when you wasn't there it was so obvious from many of us that you know that was coming to the games to see how some of the execution wasn't wasn't as sharp or it just it just it just wasn't it didn't have your name on it and and you know listening to you now and knowing that it had your name on it for i guess the previous i don't know 20 years um 
then it, you know, it, it was obvious why it took a hit. So I just, I just remember coming up and getting stuff from you on a regular basis. And you probably didn't even know I was coming back to Virginia using that stuff uh, all, all the time. So I really appreciated you for that. And, you know, everything you did for copping with all the uh, office of execution. Um, and I remember I was, I got, I was hurt and sitting in the office that they're talking about. And I would just listen to you and uh, Nate the year before. And then you and Skeet just like, just, just talk basketball all day long. And I remember when there was uh, DV, uh, the, the double deck VHS, cause y'all would record in like TNT games the night before. And we could just sit there and watch it the whole day. But just the, uh, the, I, I just never knew somebody that was, uh, you were, like executing offensively and defensively at the same time, almost like playing chess with yourself on a board, which mm. I just really haven't seen that before. So I just want to point that out. Mm. Hey, and, and, and let me, can I say something, you know, because you guys are talking about, you know, the coaching and the grind. And, and you know, I was just, all the, hello? Yeah, yeah, you got it. Yeah, and, you know, it's just, and everybody, you know, it's just said the love. But, you know, the thing that it is is that, you know, it's about changing lives. And that's what, you know, from the start, Coach Brown did, you know, and ever since I've been in the coach, I've been coaching, you know, the last 14 years since I retired. And it's about changing lives, you know. You know, I got into coaching because, you know, I want, you know, some young fella to to experience his dream of, you know, putting that NBA jersey on, you know, or or just, you know, having that professional career. So it's about changing lives. You know, we talked a lot about the basketball and, and everything, but you know, Coach Brown taught us way more lessons than, you know, than the X's and O's, you know. I, 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 I've i owned like three restaurants and, you know, me and Coach Brown, we, I think we talk more about food than anything. So, <laughs> you know, it's about changing lives. You know what I mean? It's a lot of basketball in it, right? But at the end of the day, you know, we all can say that, you know, you know, Coach Brown changed our lives, Coach Fang you know, and 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 each and each person's journey changed their lives. You know, because you get your opportunity, you know, to get your education. But you know, it's it's a lot of basketball. But you know, it's a lot of you know, it's just about changing lives, and that's what these guys do. And that's why you know I'm in the culture right now to help change someone's life. Mm -hmm. Amen, sir. Amen, Frank. And Brown. I got something I want to say on that. Uh oh, as hey, far as, as the coaching Brown, goes, just, go ahead, Turk. Yeah. Go ahead, Ski. Go ahead. You can go. I just want to say real quick, I used to come in and walk in on you and Brown's deep conversation. And y'all had some serious conversation. And when you would leave out the office, Brown would like put his feet up on the desk and smoke his pipe and be like, he'd have been great in the 60s, Ski. He'd have been unbelievable in the 60s. He's a leader. He's so intelligent. He'd have been, he'd have been, oh, he'd have been so great in the 60s. So, Go ahead, oh, Turk. Scoot? I just wanted to give you this. No, you, Turk. Oh. You, Turk with Mike. Oh, well, I'm probably the I'm probably the least experienced coach, like of all of these guys. But what I do possess that can like benefit the people that's listening is the ability to dissect things and institutions and programs. You know, I, I my mom used to give me uh toys and games. And I would take it apart. She'll come back in the room and be like, why did you take it apart? Because I need to know how this entire, I need to know the anatomy of it. I need to know how it functions, what makes it work, what makes it drive. You know what I mean? And, and I've always been like that. So uh, even though I'm the least experienced, I think I got a lot of input. I've been coaching AAU. This is my second year. And I, that's the most coaching I've ever done. But we have a bunch of high profile McDonald All-Americans and probably about three or four professional players. And um, I took what I learned as a player 
dissecting coaches and their programs. Oh, and I implemented exactly. that into my coaching style. And it's been really beneficial so much to the fact that I wanted to pull away because it was time consuming and they would, the guys wouldn't let, you know, being a, there's a lot of different aspects to being a good coach, you know, and just like players, you know, we got a bunch of players. They're not Hall of Fame players, but they still were great players. You know, even right now, Kyrie Irving is not top 75, but he's a great player. So there's a lot of different types of coaches as well. And what we had at Coppin was a bunch of guys, people, adults, men that could combine all the different aspects. Like Brown said, he was the connect between the the head coach and the players, Mm -hmm. you know? So he was basically like the communicator, which is very important when you're coaching. You need leadership. You need commitment. You need some experience. You need motivation. You need empathy. You got to understand how your players are feeling. You need flexibility. You can't just always be your way. Sometimes, hey, what defense y'all want to play? Because y'all ain't doing the shit that I want. What y'all want to play? You know, and like we had flexibility. We had discipline. We had organization. We had honesty. Like it's so many different adjectives to throw in there when these guys say they want to be coaches. Mm. You know what I mean? Do, do, do you want to be enthusiastic? Do you possess emotional intelligence? Can you step outside of the X and O's and find out what this player is going through in his daily life? You know what I mean? Can you listen? Can you motivate? Do you have knowledge? You know what I mean? So it's a lot of different things. Do you have integrity? It's a lot of different things that go into it. And um, I've sat down with like Hall of Fame coaches and just absorbed what they had to say, like Pat Riley, Rick Pitino, Red Auerbach, you know, and, and, the short time that I had, they all gave different uh, perspectives of what they look for in players and what it takes to be a good coach. And what I realized is we had all of those things in Fang and Brown and Coach Skeet, Coach Nate Blackwell. We had all of those things. I don't even know if they knew that they had it, but their coaching style possessed everything that we needed. Hmm. So when you take, when you look at how guys like Reggie Wells, Julian King, Turk Wilmot, Antoine Brogdon were not wanted by other programs, were considered bad seeds. And these guys took the bad seeds and made a winning uh, NCAA team out wow. of it. It's because they possessed, the they possessed all of those things. Hmm. You know what I mean? So what we need, like, for example, I needed emotional intelligence. I needed empathy. I needed someone that knew how to communicate with me that would allow me to voice my opinion. You know what I mean? I couldn't play for everyone. So after about five years of playing professional ball, I wasn't picking my team anymore that I was going to play for. I was picking the coaches that I wanted to play for. Mm. What the head coach is like, what the assistant coach is like. I stopped picking cities and I start picking coaches that I wanted to play for. What situation would I be the most successful in? Not you know what I mean? So that that right there, ahead. that that last statement right there, that's important for the youth right now. 
Right. I, I remember sitting at tables and listening to my uncle talk. And a lot of people do pick schools based on colors. Yep. <laughs> a lot of people do pick schools based on right. location and what the weather might be like there. But then when they get there, the coach cares nothing about them and you don't get those years back. So everybody that's listening that's young and that's just for everything. You don't just pick it based on what you thought it was. Based, talk about what you need. Look at what you need exactly. as an individual and then look at the resources that's available to you there and those resources are the coaches and does it fit, right? That, that's a right. that's big. We got I just mm-hmm. played pro a long time. And even though I knew I was a good player, I got cut a lot of times. And every time I got cut, my feelings was hurt because there's a sense of rejection that comes along with that. doesn't matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I got cut averaging 20 and 15. Mm-hmm. You know what? You're doing good on the court but you're not getting along with the team. Mm-hmm. No, we're looking for a team concept. So as a coach, you have to pick this, as a coach and a player, you got to pick the situation that's for you. Are they going to allow me to be and coach the way I want to coach? And as a player, are they going to allow me to be the player that I am? When I walk in, when I, when I, when I, let me touch on when I was saying I was picking my teams as a pro. When I walk into that practice and I say, coach, I don't feel like practicing today. I'm tired from my own personal workouts. I need to know that that coach is going to understand on game day, I'm going to be there ready and in shape and better condition than everybody that's been practicing all week. I need a coach that understands I don't practice because you call practice. Mm. I practice because it's my job as a professional and I take my body and my, my, my body and my job serious. So I'm going to be ready today. I need to take a day off mm. and I need a coach that understands you ain't got to babysit me. Right. I'm going to be there. I ain't out in the clubs with everybody else. I'm going to be there when it's time to go. Every coach might not understand that. Yeah. I think you, you, just, I mean? get, so, you just gave us a perfect segue, Turk. Because Coach and I, we the, the one thing that's a little bit frustrating about being in Dubai is that when we get to talk basketball, it's only us two. We don't get to have everybody like you guys in the room with us, right? And so with what you just talked right. about, talking about players picking the right situation, players understanding the situations they're in, and then being held accountable for it, we've been watching – um, and coach, since we started our podcast, coach has been giving me flack about the new age NBA players because they get paid too much money. And he doesn't say that talking about the superstars. He says that about the, the middle guys. The mid-level guys are still getting 20 million. A lot of guys getting paid guaranteed money and then don't show up. And so with the the season ending for the for the Nets and then watching Harden, you know, struggle, I would like to hear you guys' reflections on what KD, the Nets, put themselves in dealing with Kyrie, dealing with a new coach and Steve Nash, and then dealing with a player like Ben Simmons. You know, a lot of you guys are Philly guys, so you're on the street and you got to really hear about and you get to see. I know when I was home, I actually was around a lot in Philly and got to see Ben Simmons out and about and see how he moved. And I could tell that he wasn't a Philly guy, what they needed for him on the court. Right. And so you guys have been able to sit and this is time for us to kind of reflect on and get some other opinions. But what do you guys think about how this net season ended and what it says about Kyrie, KD and then Ben Simmons and Harden as well? Well, for me, I mean, my opinion of it is. uh, The the new era of basketball. Has just been exposed by Popovich, by Coach Popovich. Hmm. So, uh. 
Udoka was a, a assistant under Popovich for a long time. Yep. Yeah. And he was a sponge. And now he got those guys out there at Boston playing defense like they're a college team. Hmm. And, you know, if you look at most NBA teams, right, when it's, when it's a player's time to help, all he does is take a step towards the ball and reach. You know what I mean? Nah, everybody's on a string. So when it's your help, you got to get over there and help. You know what I mean? They decided, you know what? We're going to make this one player beat us. We're not getting beat by these two. We're going to make this one player beat us. And those guys never adapted to the type of the, – the Nets never adapted to the type of basketball that was being played. You know, we got to go back to college basketball. We got to go back to the rudimentary fundamentals of basketball. Move, Keep the ball moving. When I get cut off, swing it to the open man. You know what I mean? Not the, not the uh, prima donna type of basketball that most NBA teams play. They just got to be by a college team. Yeah. Team playing like playing college basketball. You know what I mean? And it's, it's not surprising. It's definitely not surprising when you can see what's going on. And then they have a young coach who was actually one of their peers. You know, it's kind of hard to coach your peer. Like, it's kind of hard to tell KD, okay, you know what? Enough all the dribbling shit. Go to the post, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan, these guys, until they send a double team, and then we kicking out shoes. It's hard to tell him that when you're his peer. You know what I mean? So they, 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 they just didn't get uh, the game plan that was constructed against them. And they were they were actually like dumbfounded. Yeah, it's for for the net situation, the way they've been playing all year, just you know, give it to the best players and ISO, they never really had the concept early in the year anyway that there will be situations where we gotta make sure we we move the ball side to side and and target the weak link on defense. And so, you know, when Steve Nash got the job. You know, of course, you know, every time someone gets a job and they're not your skin, same skin color or they're mm-hmm. a little younger, you whatever, everybody say you're hating. But I said that was not the right fit for the Nets because, as Coach Ryan said, they looked at him as a peer. And unfortunately, you know, if you don't go in and set the tone in terms of how you're going to run things, you're not going to be successful when it counts. Yeah. And as we see right now, I, you know, he could actually have tried to change some schemes in the playoffs, but it's too late. Yeah. Mindset's already set. And we'll t- I want to take it even deeper, right? Because, again, you did bring it to the point to where it was like, man, Steve Nash not going to be able to handle that, right? Yep. And we just listened to all of the former Coppin players and coaches talk about how Coach Brown and Coach Fang had everything. Yep. Emotional intelligence, the X's and O's, right? They had the enthusiasm, the energy. And the f- one thing we don't know about Steve Nash is what does he bring as a coach? Right. And now, what would have happened is because because before KD got hurt, he was MVP and Brooklyn was number one in the East, right? Everything was looking good. Harden was happy. Everything was good. And now and then trouble hits. Harden wants to leave because KD is out. He's hurt. He has to play without Kyrie for a couple months. And now you got to see a real coach work with trouble. You know, Turk just right. said, don't tell, don't talk about Tex and Coach Brown in the same conversation because Tex didn't have to deal with what True. we had to deal with. So now we got to see probably a year earlier or two years earlier in advance what Steve Nash would have to do with controversy surrounding the organization. <laughs> you don't have Joe Harris, right? And now you're playing against Udoka, who has been next to, who is probably the best coach in professional basketball right now for the last five, six, seven years. And he studied and really paid his dues. 
So here we go. So now you're going to hear, uh, KD, you left Golden State to go here. Maybe you were just front running. Maybe you're not as great. You know, guys like Charles Barkley saying all those different things. But then we have another factor with that same organization. A guy like Ben Simmons who doesn't play. Or a guy like James Harden who kind of sabotaged the next season. But how do you guys that, that are still around the game of basketball, how do you make sure that the youth that you're coaching don't take on some of those personality and habits of the people that they're watching? I got a question for Turkish too, and even Coach Brown in regards to Ben Simmons. Yeah, but I'm gonna okay. kick it upstairs. And how is it that management doesn't know that Ben Simmons has that severe injury, and you make a trade for him? And this guy's supposed to be an impact, you're trying to win a championship, and he never, ever puts on a jersey. Like, how does that happen? And Stu Turk Brown well, doesn't matter. Somebody, well, Stu's not Stu's not on. He had to leave. So it's just um, Brown and Turk. Turk, you played obviously 15, 20 years professionally. How does that happen? Okay. So for us, right, the knowledge, you asked the question, how does management not know? Well, you're talking about a billion-dollar organization, right? Management knows everything. Yeah. They know everything. The way they cover their butts is pretending like they didn't know. You know what I mean? These are you talking about guys that hang out with each other, not just do business with each other. They make phone calls to each other. They have conversations that they're not mm. supposed to have. So they may have knew Ben wasn't playing, but the way they're portraying it to us is, oh, he just woke up this morning and didn't know. We they they, they may have knew all along he's not playing this season, but the way we're gonna keep these tickets coming in is he might be back. He might be back. He might be back. So as long as we think you're coming, he's coming back, we still think we got a chance. Mm. Say less. As, as the young boys say, as the young guys say, Turk, say less. <laughs> it's all about the money. No. I mean, I was on a team, I was on a team where 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 Kevin Garnett was worth more than the hundred million they could pay him. And he was getting paid 200 million. And Joe Smith was worth more than the 80 million they were allowed to pay him. And Joe Smith was getting just north of 150 million. And when it all came out, how they were getting paid, Minnesota lost his, his uh, playoff privileges for a few years. So we're talking about a billion dollar organization. And what you see on TV and the newspaper is not always what's happening. Mm. Um, 99% of the time is not with <laughs> For sure. But, but but having Ben Simmons there, though, like you see him as a player and you you guys see, they could have used him in some capacity, right? And what, what are you guys seeing? Because I, I told Coach early, I was like, look, this is a pattern. As I said this before, but look, LSU, he really wasn't locked in all the way. They talked about him when he was in his Australian team. But as we talked about before, Turk, when you were on the phone, guys are protecting brands these days, right? And I guess Coach Key and Coach Brown, you could talk about that because that's a new age thing. 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds playing basketball but protecting their brand <laughs> in high school and putting that over the game. And that's what people were saying Ben was doing. Really now, you got a track record of a guy that he doesn't over overcome those tough issues. He's not great in the locker room because the team don't know they can rely on him, but now he still do a hundred plus million. So what, what goes forward? Like, how do you coach that? How do you make an adjustment?
adjustment so your team and him can find a way to come back together. Well, right. Go ahead, go ahead, coach. Uh, you know, I'm old school, and I just go back to uh, I always thought one of the reasons why the game has changed uh, and started with the dribble drive, and it it, it was too much one on one, and and I I think that when these young guys got these trainers, mm. it was just one on one thing. You know, they were taught how to do one-on-one things. You know, the cone didn't play defense that they were going around. And, you know, if I ever had had thought about uh, training people, I would have eight people and I would do four-on-four because we're going to learn how to play basketball with other people on the floor. Uh, we're going to have to defend with other people on the floor. I think it's too much offense that goes on. Like like Turk was saying, Coach Pop teaches defense, and if you look at Miami, they play defense. Uh, Golden State is starting to play defense, and those are the teams that's going to be there at the end. And I, I to me, the the one on one play, the uh, the training that goes on, you know, the dribbling. You know, I walk into a gym. I, I do some refereeing. At, at, at 60 some years old <laughs> just AAU stuff and I walk into a gym and I see a, a trainer with one person and that person is dribbling the ball and then throwing a tennis ball up in the, on the wall and catching the tennis ball <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand that I'm trying to understand what that has to do with the game you know and, and, and maybe it does but it's the new age thing I grew up like on the concrete and we played against each other, five on five, four on four, three on three. You know, a lot of the most enjoyment and teaching that we got at Coppin was a shell, you know, just four on four. And and we would work on that maybe an hour. You know, I ain't going to talk for 25 minutes to that hour. <laughs> but you learned how to defend as a team. And I, I think that's missing with a lot of teams now. You know, you look at you look at Minnesota with all the talent that they have, and they win their games with talent, but they lose their games with defense. Mm. You know, they they just they just don't have that that Boston mentality, that Miami <laughs> mentality, and uh, I I hope to see Miami and and, and Boston in the Eastern Final because I think that would be a hell of a final mm. defensively, but it's going to be just like football. It's going to be the basically the defensive team that's going to win. Hey, I can talk a little bit about the amateurism um, of kind of what coach is saying with uh, that trainer thing. Cause I have a, I got a nine year old and I have a 13 year old who's getting ready to start high school next year. And, you know, I'm, I'm watching them. And then I've been uh, 18 years as a head coach, uh, varsity head coach. And then I think it's my 25th year in high school sports. And um, the idea of this uh, trainer thing um, is just, it, the unfortunate of it is like uh, the Joneses, you know, you got to do what somebody else does. And um, people see somebody with some trainer uh, who has no real resume, which is the other issue um, with, exactly. uh, with the individual trainers. There's no real, it's just a guy like, I mean, there's a guy who uh, actually I know who trains around here who got cut by you, Coach uh, Julian. And because uh, I know he got cut by you. He didn't say he got cut, but he said what well, year is at TC. 
And I know he didn't play, but he's training <laughs> all these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, but he's training them. He's got the cones. He's got all this stuff. He's got the the, the dribbling goggles and all that stuff. Um, but the one thing that, you know, I watched uh, an hour's worth of it um, and not one time was a really conversation about concepts. It's more, you know, we're going to dribble around this cone, but it's not like, um, what's the second defender going to do? You know, it's more like, all right, you get by this guy. All right. And then it ends. And then in that entire hour, uh, they didn't talk about defense one time. There was never, you know, any talk about, um, even, even though you're talking offense and that's what parents I think are paying for. They're paying for offense. When I explained to my parents, like no matter what 50% of the game you're on D. So like, if you're only practicing offense, you know, that's, that's not the thing, but, but they're not paying them. The parents are listening to just somebody they're paying them to teach them how to dribble. Like coach said around a cone, that's not going to try to take the ball. And then you, and then that's it. Um, they get to the game and then they're just focusing on, did I make those many shots Did I handle the ball Did I do the in and out between the leg behind the back and then move six feet. Did I do that? Uh, and that, and when I watch like the kids play and the kids that are coming to me, um, you know, I, I keep an eye on my middle school kids and my elementary school kids that are coming to me. Um, and the parents, that, that seems like what they're seeking out. Now, for me, you don't play unless you play D. I mean, you gotta, you gotta play shelter. We do zigzag, we pull, we do, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, and parents are struggling a little bit. Um, and, and I don't say every parent, but it's just kind of maybe a generational thing or struggling a little bit. Cause that's not what they see with these individual trainers that they're paying. And it's almost um, every kid feels like they have to have that trainer now. So Coach Brown, like that, going outside, playing three and three, four and four in the heat, um, at least in this area, the DMV area, it is scarce to add mm-hmm. any. If you can find somebody doing that just to play basketball unscripted with people that you don't know and you're trying to come up with an outcome, when in that case is just simply concepts. It isn't, you know, you're not running a play, you're just running concepts there. Uh, and that's what the kids need. And that's certainly what they're not getting. And I mean, I'm not the only high school coach around here talking about it, but like I got to, you know, I'm teaching kids shell drill, ninth graders shell drill, and they may have never heard of that before. They never seen it before in their AAU teams and their sixth grade teams and their travel teams. I do think they're doing travel and AAU way too early. They're traveling four states to lose by 30. So you could stay around here and lose by 30 uh, doing that. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm, I'm concerned uh, for the future of the game as a mass because of some of the people that are that are teaching it and they didn't come from a grind of like you guys are talking about like the grind of a of a coaching tree or even a grind of not a coaching tree but just a grind of doing it all yourself um, even the new high school coaches like they're scoff at like like uh, sweeping the gym like man I sweep my floor every day you know what I mean like that's that's just it is what it is um and so a lot of the people that are coaching now and some of the trainers now they didn't come up through through anything like that to teach it and so I think it's you know we're talking about Ben Simmons and Kyrie like but that age you know they're 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 not that old like they've been around where like if they complain about an AAU team the coach don't want to make them mad so they're going to give them what they want because they're afraid that that kid is going to tra- change teams especially right. when you're, you're, you know you're in the circuit <laughs> you're in the circuit uh stuff and somebody going from nike to you under armor you know they're going to kind of appease those kids whatever and i mean i think we're seeing a lot of that from a lot of these kids they're not kids anymore they're professionals but they're still the same person you talk about ben simmons and his track record of all the way back to early LSU days, it's kind of similar now. And I would bet if you tracked it back even further, you know, in his middle school and travel and all that stuff, you'd probably see the same. Yeah. So I, I think that the um, the trainers, I think that stuff is, 
it's not going away. That's unfortunate. It's not going away. Mm-hmm. The, AA, um, the AAU is not going away because it really doesn't mean anything. AAU, the word doesn't mean anything as it used to be. It used to be elite. It's not elite because every kid plays AAU. Um, and every dad starts an AAU team if his kid's not good enough to play. So that's a whole, it's a whole like foundation issue, I think. Um, of course, the best player is going to rise to the top and it's not going to be an issue. So it's not even we're not talking about the top, you know, 50 players in the nation, but just like the regular guys, um, I think are 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 struggling right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you guys all brought that up because uh, that's how we wanted to finish up, um, you know, this opportunity to get together tonight, which is, you know, talking about grassroots basketball. Coach Brown talked about, you know, kids going out and playing on their own and learning from failure and, and things like that and, and, and having self-awareness in terms of if, if something doesn't work, what can I do to get better? Um, you only do that by trial and error. You know, Dave, you just talked about <clears throat> only working on offensive moves and, and not worried about defensive concepts. Well, we all know that most people love the offensive side of the ball and you have to have a passion to play on the defensive side. You know, and then Turk talked about, you know, people playing ball right now and, and whether you are good or not, teaching other people how to play the game, but you're shortchanging them by not giving them the, the full gambit of, of what it takes to be a basketball player. Because, you know, we do training here. And one of the things that we battle each time is the guys that are on Instagram all the time with these fancy moves teaching them to eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. And, you know, they always show the kids that are talented. They don't show the kids that suck. You know, the, the, the true tale of a trainer is someone who can make somebody, as Brown and Fang did with us, as Turk said, make someone who's not that good better, where they can actually have a chance to be on the court and make an impact. And so... With you guys being on this call, you guys are so important to spreading the word in terms of how basketball should be taught. Everybody has, everybody on this call has their own philosophy, but it basically all circles back to the same thing. Fundamentals. Fundamentals. Because, you know, you think about the guys training. It's okay if you have one kid and, and you got a cone out there and you're teaching a move, but it's a progression to that move if it's an elite move. You know, if that kid can't make a left-hand layup, they shouldn't be doing a Euro step. We all know that. But we encounter that stuff. And so, you know, for the trainers out there that are listening and the, and the players as well, if someone's teaching you the game and they're showing you a particular move and they're not showing you when to make that move, where to make that move on the floor, how to make that move and why to make that move, then you probably need to find someone else. Hmm. If they're not talking about why you would make a secondary move off the first move based on what the defense is taking, trying to take away, you probably need to find someone else. So everything that you guys said, we're so appreciative for you giving us your knowledge. And, you know, it's going to really, really help us with our players in this region of the world yeah. because basketball is so young. Mm-hmm. But the same problems you guys are experiencing, it's all across the globe. Grassroots basketball. Hey, Joel. Yes. It's Coach Skeets. Yep. I just got one quick thing if I can interject. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Trainers have always been in existence. Just like we talked about, Stu talked about John Harnett. 
yep. kitchen. Worked out. Well, exactly. And so there's trainers and then there's enablers hmm. because what you're teaching, what you're training them to do has to translate to the actual game, right? right. These guys would browse it, the balls and the tennis balls. How does that translate to the game of basketball with the nine other dudes out there on the floor? Right. Right. That it's not only telling them what they're good at, but when you're training them and teaching them, what do they need to work on? Right. What not what are they not good at? What do they need to develop? Right. Like, their shot, their fan, their defense. So you have guys like Ben Simmons because of the money that's involved. Like Turk said, it's a billion-dollar business. Basketball is a business. Sports is a business. They're building facilities because sports, kids, parents are paying, which is not, there's nothing wrong with that. It used to be funded by the by the local governments, the city and the county and the state would, you know, fund yeah. recreational sports. But we have enablers. Somebody trying to get paid off a kid if he's good, yeah. mm-hmm. don't know how to up teach and how does it translate to the actual sport, to the yeah. actual game of basketball. What right. you're teaching them, how does it translate? And then what do they need to get better at? Fact. And I'll, and I'll say this. Yes, there were trainers. There, I mean, there's always been trainers because John Harnett, is, is uh, Turk mentioned, but there weren't as many trainers. And the reason why, because you think about guys like John Harnett. John Harnett is a guy that would open the gym, close the gym. Of course, as he got older, of course, you know, he had somebody, because my cousin actually started working with him. But... Those are guys that just loved to teach the game. And these and a lot of the trainers now, they're of course they're in it for the money. They want to get a player that could help elevate their career. But also, you know, it's an easier process now. You know, as long as you can have something to present to people that's flashy and it's what the kids want to hear, as you said, Coach Skeet, being an enabler, it's so much easier now. And so you think for every John Harnett. There's a thousand trainers now. Now, this is where I interject, right? And this is from me from the other side. And I say this every time we get a guest on. I said it last time when Turk was on. And I've said to you all the time, basketball itself is not a sport where we're allowed to be quiet, right? Right. We, you talk about, it's, it's a man's game, it's mano y mano, right? You talk about with, with Fang, he's going to challenge you to see if you can fit and stay here, right? Yeah. So for me, my frustration is with the OGs. Right. The old heads will look at us, you know, Coach House, and you'll look at those trainers that are doing it wrong. And you know that you got it, that you there's something better, there's something missing. You guys got to start G checking these people, because if not, then all we're going to have is a revolving door of kids who aren't understanding the game. And then when they finally get to you or get around players or coaches that really maybe they get to college and for four years they were in high school and relying on talent. And then when finally they get to college, when everybody's talent is the same, it's about mentally how you can prepare and um, apply. They can't keep up and then they want to transfer every year. But where does it because it's a it's a gang of you guys. It's a lot of you OGs out here now, you know, you got online, you know, Chuck and Shaq do it on NBA TNT, but we need more. And maybe it's not a blatant out like, yo, that coach, that trainer sucks. But we need to find a way for you guys to be just as visible too, because we're, they're young. They're only going to go as far as what they know, like you said. So like we need, think about this just now. Coach Brown just said that he goes into AAU games and referees 
Right. How many of those kids playing? They have no how idea. Many of those co- no idea how many of those is. coaches on the sidelines understand the legend, the right. basketball? <laughs> like, he, he, he forgot more basketball than I will ever know in my entire life, right? And to think about those guys, and I'm around basketball guys all the time. So, like, we got to get the OGs to come back and feed the game. That's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of your podcast is that just like you want players that want to be coachable, the coaches, the trainers, mm. they need to be willing to listen and learn mm. from a coach Brown mm. when Joel and B gets called out by Charles Barkley or uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Be willing to because you never stop. You're never too old to learn. Mm-hmm. You're never too old to grow. Mm-hmm. At the same time, if you're young and doing it, you don't have the experience and you can't Google experience. <laughs> you have done it. Like Coach yeah. Brown, to your callers and your people that's listening, you can't go online and have the success of a Coach Derek Brown for 30 years in the business. Mm-hmm. You have to actually do it. You have to put the time and energy and be willing to learn. And just like you want co- players that, be, that are coachable, that want to develop and get better, mm-hmm. you have to have trainers out there that are willing to listen when an OG like Coach Brown walks in the gym with a striped shirt on and says, that's not a foul. Yeah. <laughs> as simple as that. Go ahead. But this is what we talked about before at the end. I think you and I went back and forth with this a little bit. In terms of what Coach Ryan saying, in terms of interjecting, yeah, yeah, we don't have time some because we're so focused on our particular craft and our guys that we don't have time to waste our energy trying to how can I say, derail someone else training the wrong way? But I think what Coach Ryan is saying, because he's always on my ass about this, what he's trying to say is the guys like you, Coach Brown, Skeet, Coach Houston, everybody on this call, we can do a better job, even if it's only 10% more of being maybe a little more visible, mm-hmm. maybe a little more vocal, just yeah. because the times are different. You know, 20 years ago when there wasn't any social media, then you kind of, if you didn't know anybody, you had to do what Coach Brown said. You got to go to coaching clinics. You got to invest in yourself and spend your own money to go get better as a coach, to go get better as a player. You know, but now, but now we have access to more stuff Mm -hmm. where we can be a little more visible. And so even though there's a market for the trainers who want to, who have kids that only want to score 50 as opposed to the market where you're in right now where you're teaching kids to play the right way in a setting in a a, a real system if we're if you're a little more visible you could potentially close that gap just a little bit at a time and actually help the grassroots level of basketball as a whole as exactly and so that's that's what he's talking about because we we talk. He probably beats me in the head every day about this stuff, Coach. You got to do more. You got to do more. You got to be more visible. And I'm like, I mean, we got we got a job to do. We we're running yeah. a business. But he's like, it's he's like it's ten minutes out your day, Coach. Mm-hmm. And so he's right. And so all all we're saying is that for all of us on this call, we have so much to give that we owe it to the guys coming up to actually. Yeah. Put it out there a little bit more. Whether they take it or not, so what? Yeah. But and, we need to put it out there. And think about it this way. All of you guys will probably say between that, there was a golden era of basketball, right? You guys might have said it was for college basketball. It was the old Big East time. 
right? And what I would say is basketball always reflects the coaches. It always reflects the coaches of, of that era and even at the grassroots, right? Because from Boo Williams to, to Mac Irvin to whoever was at different places regionally, they always dictated the way the game was going to be and they gave the solid foundation. So when those guys got to Bayheim, and when they got to um, uh, Thompson or whatever, it was a certain standard already set and they just took them to the next level. So right now with what we complain about um, with players and everything else, we kind of, our old heads or our next generations of coaches are going to dictate where that next generation goes. And so how do we, because right now coach sends me a video every day of somebody doing some wild training stuff, right? He's like, yo, why is this always popping up on my timeline? And if it's popping up on his, that means there's probably 2 million kids that just seen the same thing and want to go and get that. But how can we make, all right, they get 10% of that, but how can they get 20% of what Turk got to say, what coach Skeet got? And how do we get somebody to put more of what coach Brown got in his brain on TV or anywhere on social media so we can kind of circumvent that and make it balanced. Because if that happens, then we're talking to a different crop of young basketball players. Because everything comes back around, right? Just like fashion. You know, I know you guys seeing a lot of the stuff that these guys are wearing these days. And you like, man, they looking like the Isley brothers in the 70s, right? <laughs> and so basketball got to at some point come back to that. But we got to do that work ourselves. And we got to get the old heads to come in and find just that. It might be just 10 young dudes that want to listen but once you can start to put 10 of them out there and start to change it can really make a difference hey, back. can you guys can you all hear me i know something that coach brown said that he grew up with uh going to like coaches uh clinics i know that's something that i i have to look in the mirror myself and i know the pandemic hurt but i i mean grassroots and locally i do a lot of coaching clinics um, oh, I used to do a lot of coaching clinics for the youth coaches. I mean, that was that, and you know, some of the youth coaches. I don't know if they're all the trainers and everything. I don't know if all the trainers are coming to those things, but a lot of the the, the grassroots, all the way nine years old, ten years old, like those coaches don't really know. And I think you're talking about the OGs. I think a lot of um, a lot of us, and, and I'll call myself one as far as the coach in this area. Um, ha we we have to do a good job of reaching out. I have uh, my current staff. I wanted it at Coppin. Um, I have, uh, you know, I just wanted all that family, the way Coppin always felt like old heads coming back and it was always family. I got um, four coaches on my current staff right now that play for me. And I have seven that I've coached before that have, that have coached for me. So we're trying to just uh, get out and like at least show the kids, like the younger, like you're saying, the younger coaches start from some age, right? Yeah. It might be, that guy might be 20 years old right now, right? He might be 18 years old right now. Yeah. Um, being introduced to some skill or drill that he's never seen that's actually applicable and not the Instagram, you know, double ball drills and spin right. and shoot things that they see. Um, but I think that's, I think that starts it is um, having some type of a, a, a clinic that people are used to going to and just picking stuff up. I mean, that's how I did as a coach. I think now, I don't know if all coaches do Now I'm going hey, to hold on, hold on, Houston. I'm going to pull your car right now, Houston. So you, between you and coach Bentley, between you and Coach Bentley, and there's probably a couple other coaches right there, the DMV, we probably got the best talent basketball-wise in the area. We should have the best coaches whoa, whoa, coming whoa, out there next. Whoa, yeah, whoa. I, I said that for sure, whoa. including Philly and Jersey, but that's another talk, though. But, Houston, between you, Bentley, and there's a couple other guys there, if Coach King was still there, you guys could be dictating and nurturing that next group of coaches. 
between you two and what you guys have done at Wakefield and West Pole, especially as your OG black coaches, a clinic with guys that like Trey Ford and some other people, you guys could really set up that next generation, especially in our neighborhood. And so, you, you know what? That's a, uh, Ryan, that's a good idea, man. That's actually a really good idea um, that I think I will. Uh, I'm on a, a group chat with all the black coaches in the area, and it's not that many of us. Um, but, uh, you know, just like the NFL and, and some other that keep recycling a lot of coaches to go back and coach. And a lot of us aren't getting young guys aren't really getting a lot of chances. Um, and you are sharp about it. The DMV right now. I mean, you look at the NCAA tournament, man, there's tons. All these kids is coming from around this area. Man, it's been like that since 2008, man. We've been killing this in 2008. Yeah. It's, it's, it is what it is. Agreed. It's been like that a minute. Yeah. It's, really, it's certainly been like that a minute. But I think you're right. Some type of coaching clinic like that is something necessary. Um, uh, it just, I, I think those trainers, though, need to be the ones. I think they're, the, the problem is I think there's a lane for everybody. Yeah. Like, there's a lane for the trainers. There's certainly a lane for them. Like There's a lane for a kid learning how to dribble the ball. Um, it's now knowing how to cross over and backpedal and cross over and all that stuff. And there's a, there's certainly a lane for that, but that same person might not also know how to construct an, uh, uh, a press offense. Listen, it's a, it's a, it's a relationship thing though. The trainer and the coach should have a relationship. The trainers should know the coaches that are locally. All right. Let's put it like this. When you had, what's the big fella's name that's at Arkansas state? Big Jonas. Uh, Jonas. Right. Yeah. You coached him. You coached against us at TC, but when he needed some extra help outside of that and you needed a trainer, who'd you send him to? Yeah, I hit you. you said, you're right. No so that's the relationship right there. So mm -hmm. you all, like Doug Craig would always send his guys to me. Bentley would send his guys to me. So you guys starting with the black coaches in the area, Coach Bentley and those guys, and you guys start to build eventually you will get one or two trainers. And all we need is a start. Yeah. That's all we need is a start. Yeah. And, and eventually, eventually it'll change for the better. Yeah. You know, you're not going to save everybody. We know that. For you're sure. not going to, you're not going to change everybody's mind. But the fact that you can help basketball as a whole a little bit at a time is worth more than for not sure. doing anything at all. It's saving all of that positive energy and knowledge you have you know, to within your program. Yeah. So that's, we just got to start somewhere. And I just leave, I say this one last thing because I know Turk want to get in. Like, like I was saying, you got the mental Rolodex of Coach G Dick Brown. Yep. And Wolf Fang, right? And Coach Fang, Fang Mitchell. Like, think about how much information that you're wealthy. <laughs> you are rich. <laughs> you are rich with information that all of those coaches right there, they just need a tenth of it and it'll change a kid's life. You know, um, but we we're about we got what eight minutes left. Man, we got like six minutes. Six left. minutes left. So we're gonna do a little round table and let you guys have your final say so or anything that you want to say and pass off. Um, Coach Brown, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to Skeet um, and then Davy and then Coach uh, Turk. Well, uh, <clears throat> been enjoyable. Uh, I've actually learned a little bit today. Uh, I'd just like to end in saying um, that was a pet peeve of mine, you know, these personal trainers and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll say it again, if I ever started anything, and I would say this to any trainer, I would have, I would start with eight people and we would shell mm -hmm. and we would learn how to play the game of basketball four on four. 
Um, but we did a lot. Even when we went five on five, we ran up and down. Well, I ran up and down the floor with the guys and with the girls and talked up and down, up and down. We would stop it when there was a problem. But more times than not, we, we allowed it to just go on, uh, talk about it a little later. But I think you have to, you know, get into the game, mm-hmm. get into the game and, and maybe get back to some, you know, individual things after that. I think teaching as a whole, uh, at least on the girl side, really helped me more uh, as far as being successful on the girl side uh, and then go back to the individual things after that. Mm. You know, so um, four on four, uh, that that's my thing right there. Um, okay. I just want to end on that. And uh, again, I enjoyed myself this afternoon. Uh, I think it's nighttime where you guys are, mm. but um, all success to you. Thank you uh, so much, Coach. Thank you. Appreciate you, as always. Um, Skeet, you got one minute. Real quick. Yeah, just uh, I learned from Coach Brown. Honestly, when I, when I was the high school coach for four years, sat at, his, sat at his knee and learned for three years. So the first seven years of my coaching career, uh, I was taught by Dick Brown, Nate Blackwell, and Fang Mitchell. And the one thing I'll carry with me, too, always in basketball is toughness and intelligence. Toughness and intent, not so much just a fighting a guy, but a mental toughness to overcome adversity, dive on the floor for loose balls, do whatever it takes to win, and intelligence to know uh, just how to take whatever's being taught and translate it to the game of basketball. And like Turk said, a lot of things you're taught in basketball also pertain to life and they can help you be successful in life. So I want to thank Coach Brown for an honor to be on here. But those two things, toughness and intelligence. Does he cheer for the guy when he comes out of the game? Is he coachable? Does he listen to his coaches? Does he sit uh, next to the coaches or by himself? All those little things. As a coach, I still look for today and with training and coaching are toughness and intelligence. You guys are doing a great job. I got to connect you with my cousin over there. Uh, he's with the Sylvan Learning Center over in Dubai, Jules and Ryan. So I'll make sure you guys get connected. Oh, yeah, and I'm for sure. To being back on again. Yeah, for All sure. Right? Yeah, we'll definitely make that connection. Appreciate you, Thank big you. guy. Thank you. All right. We, then, you know, we'll end it off with Turk and, and uh, Coach Houston. And I appreciate it, you know, one, being here, being able to be on this call. My story, even just to be on this, is like so much different than everybody else's story. Um, and the main thing, I, I tore my ACL uh, at Coppin, and I think I, and Coach Brown doesn't know really, but I became a coach just listening to him and Nate, just every single, Nate Blackwell, just every single day I had pumping ice in my knee for an hour in there and just listening to these guys. And I never really knew intelligence of basketball, still listening to them and realized like it's a chess game, you know, and, I, and to me, the chess of it is the coolest. Mm-hmm. But just being there and uh, seeing like, they're talking about this, uh, our weight room, our weight room was a closet. <laughs> like just some of the stuff that some of the stuff that we had, you know, we're a 15 seed, like just doing all going and seeing all that happen um, made me realize as a coach now, like there's truly nothing that I can't do. Like, mm. I, I really don't believe that there's really a limit because um, we should have had a ceiling. Like there should have been a ceiling at Coppin saying like, look at this little room. You guys can't do this. You can't do that. You got one dorm you know, that, that's it. And like, you know, we're battling, you know, 50,000 student schools 
and it shouldn't have been that way except for these guys that were leaders like this, they didn't have a ceiling they had it and kind of let us know we could be whatever we want to be mm. uh and I, I took that forever and i try to pass that on to my guys you know um just in life you know there's going to be ups and downs it's going to be tough um i certainly didn't expect my story to end up the way it was um but i i thought through it this is what it is and you can cry about it or you can keep it moving so i yeah. I, I just thank my experience at copping and around these uh these uh legends you know i mean just i mean how how lucky am i to have been around really true legends like not just players and i mean coaches but these players too you know i watched Turk work out and you know he was just different than everybody else and when i see people that are just different you know it's not necessarily something wrong it's maybe they're different because there's a reason for that bang with a different cat uh, and I'll leave this last story that top people understand. So I didn't know how much I really took from Fang, but I heard recently my players was talking about how hard it was to get gear from me. And like, I got, <laughs> I got t-shirts all over the place. And like, I guess like, I don't really get that up too easy. And I, and when I heard them talking, I chuckled inside because, you know, Ryan, for those of us that went to cop and know, it was like a 007 mission just to get a T-shirt from Umar. Just to get, like, if you could get, if you could get a pair of shorts, oh, man, it was just, and Fang had a, I finally got in that room, and it was like wall-to-wall clothes. <laughs> I it heard. so hard to get that out, but I just didn't realize how much influential, uh, how, how influential they were to me and all you guys were, too. So thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I'm proud at 18 years as a head of varsity, uh, coach of a program to say you know that i got my wings at copping so That's appreciate dope. y'all having me salute thank you salute. man we appreciate it and, and i'm gonna have coach check back in on you in like two or three months to see if y'all got the uh coalition together and uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna call bentley tonight yeah. pressure on him too yeah got it yeah uh, that's a good idea <laughs> right uh turk is on you that's our honorary third member right here <laughs> well uh, a lot of people um throughout this evening have given me credit and gave me praise for a lot of things. And I don't accept none of it. The credit is not mine. Um, I'm really, I'm nothing. We all are just a, a drop of water hmm. compared to the ocean. Hmm. You know what I mean? So the credit, all go, all the credit goes to God. All the glory goes to God. Without God, none of this is possible. Sure. You know what I mean? Cause I remember, some days I wanted to end it all. I didn't want to be a part of basketball or coaching or anything. And I had to go back to that foundation of God. You know what I mean? And say, well, what if this is what God has for you? You know, so all the glory goes to God because uh, nothing's possible without him. And to the listeners out there, the young listeners, the parents, the trainers, uh, greed, worry, fear, and God, those all can't exist in the same heart. Hmm. You know what I mean? So a, a lot of my foundation was based on, I got through it all because for a long time, somebody was praying for me. And when they weren't praying for me, I started praying for myself. You know, so I learned to give the glory to God. And then that's how I was able to encounter and overcome all the obstacles I faced. You know what I mean? And another thing I want to say to, these, to, to the guys, the, the young people across the world, set a goal. And don't negotiate the conquering of that goal with nobody, not with your family, not with your friends, not even with your own self, not even with your own feelings. And, mm. and that's how you become successful in this world. You give glory to God, you set goals, and you. I know y'all said I can't curse, but they ain't going to understand me if I don't curse. <laughs> you, set a goal with your body, 
you set a goal and you body the shit out of that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You don't negotiate that goal or the conquering of your goals with nobody because they're yours. Mm-hmm. And right. I want to thank y'all for having me, man. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was all mine. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm in tune for the next one. Anytime you guys want me on, just yes, give sir. me a call. I mean, and, and, and I'm all down for it. Well, yes, thank you, man. Sure. We appreciate sure. you, man. We appreciate you. Man, as always, it's always dope to be able to sit and be a sponge to um, a conversation like this with some guys like you. And then also to be able to share some input from a, a younger perspective. I appreciate you guys. Um, I, I hope the individuals that have the opportunity to interact with you all on a daily basis appreciate you. Yep. Um, if they don't tell you just off this one interaction, I appreciate you guys. Um, you guys helped shape the, the OG that I have over here with Coach King and um, every day he's changing some lives of some kids and some parents in ways that they never expected. And a lot of it has to do with what he experienced at Coppin and what he developed with the brotherhood that you guys have. So um, thank you guys for joining the BTG Nation and sharing some love. And we appreciate you. Um, Share it around everywhere when the episode drops next week. Um, You guys stay healthy, stay safe and keep going. Man. All right, fellas. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you. All right, you. y'all. It was a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Stay safe out there. You right. too. All right, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Man, another episode. A surprise one, because I thought I was taking all the Ramadan off, but <laughs> um, it has been great so far. You guys know we're not even going to make it anything crazy, because this is one of those special edition episodes. Uh, we'll be back to the regular schedule program. We covered after a lot. E. We covered a lot. So you guys got some food to sit on and eat. Um, and so we'll get back to regular schedule program at the Eid um, to all of my brothers and sisters. of Umar keep pushing. We're almost there. Um, OG, post-game wrap-up. Man, based on some of the things that we, we talked about today, we had a lot of guys on that call with a wealth of experience, playing, coaching, teaching. And you see that some of us haven't talked in a long time, but it's like a, when we get together, it's like we never mm-hmm. left, right? And so it's going to be an argument that we're going to probably have for the to the end of time in terms of making sure these guys, myself included, and you pass on any positive information we have. So if you have any positive information that can help somebody in terms of basketball, in terms of their life or whatever, whether they receive the information or not, if you don't give it, then you're part of the problem. So if you have something, don't don't keep it bottled in. Share it with somebody because somebody's going to want it. Somebody's going to use it. You know that Tim that Skeet gave? Yeah. You can Google experience. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I'm writing that on the board. You can Google experience, yeah. right? I'm short and sweet. The best things in life are on the other side of fear. Yeah. We're speaking from experience. Yeah. The best things in life are on the other side of fear. So make that leap. And as always, BTG Nation, like, follow, subscribe. If you are in Dubai, UAE, Hoop Mountain, Dubai, Hoop Mountain, DXB. And as we always say, as we let the the smooth tunes of Willie Ways lead us out, (laughs) keep going, keep it real, and keep it simple.
No, let's keep it simple, keep it real, and keep going. Look, I'm losing my touch. Player and coach, the brother, the brother. They both got views that you need to discover. From sports, current events, to just life talk. Whether you on a fast break or a nice walk. Gotta tune in, you already know, G. This BTG Nation and you wanted the homies. Just tune in, you already know, G. BTG Nation, the other ones in the nosebleeds.